0: The practice, I think, massages you in your practice in your life, and then when you really need it, you are just there, and you are there in your heart and wherever your heart's at. And I think practice sets you up for those moments, and maybe that's the whole point.
1: Hello everyone, welcome to Radically Loved Radio. I wanted to create a place where people can go to to get inspired, get motivated, or find some clarity and get tools to create a radically loved life. I will do my best to provide information on a variety of subjects, including yoga, holistic health, life coaching, spirituality, meditation, and overall mindful living. Each episode will bring you some of the world's best spiritual leaders, entrepreneurs, yoga teachers, coaches, along with some of my closest friends, and we will talk about their life experiences and journeys to create something more out of their lives and how they continue to grow to make that happen. Thanks for listening. Hey everyone, 2020 is your year. Have you been dreaming of starting your own podcast? If you have, then this is the year to make it happen. Maybe it's an idea or something that you're really good at or something that you want to learn more about. Our friends Krista and Lindsay from the Almost 30 podcast just released the new podcast pro program to help you launch, market, and monetize the podcast of your dreams. Krista and Lindsay started Almost 30 in their closet floor while working full-time jobs in just three years. They turned it into a top-rated podcast with millions and millions of downloads worldwide. They've created such an incredibly supportive, community and in podcast pro they're sharing exactly how they did it and all the secrets they learned along the way. You can sign up now at yourpodcastpro.com to launch your dream podcast. You can also find more information by clicking the info button of this particular podcast and check out the link there. And now back to our show. I'm joined by a very special guest today. Karina Stone is with us and I cannot wait to have this conversation with her because she has gone through a lot in the last year and she is also the wife of the late Michael Stone and recently has published a new book with a lot of his teachings and I'm really excited to be able to talk to her today. So everybody, let's welcome Karina Stone to the show.
0: Thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, Yeah, I would just intercept that it's been two years since Michael died. Oh my God. So it has been a long year, but I'll I'll claim a long two years.
1: Oh my God. Yeah, yeah, you do. Yeah, you have for sure. Um, You know, one of the things that I... And I, I still, again, like he was such a, an incredible teacher, obviously, um, who was going through a lot. And I feel like, um, of all the people that I have crossed paths with, Michael was definitely one of those resonating, um, really um, devout teachers. And I had the opportunity and the privilege to assist him at a couple of workshops that he did up in Portland when I was still living up there. And I learned just so, so much, you know, and for me, like my lineage or the background that that I study is in Tantra, but I mean, it's so much of it is interconnected. And, um, I, I just want to, you know, talk to you about what, what it's been like for you over the last two years and, you know, what lessons you've learned and tell me what the inspiration was behind putting these teachings out into the world um, today. And um, yeah, like just, you're so courageous and I'm so inspired and I'm I'm just looking forward to hearing um, how your journey has been the last two years.
0: Uh, okay. So I could start with my journey and then we could talk about the book or vice versa. Yeah, either um, or. Yeah, um, how, how the journey's been. It's, been, it's been long and it's been short and it's been hard and it's been simple in moments, you know? Um, I, I can't say it's one thing, it's so, it's so many, many things and uh, I've grown a lot as a person and, uh, and I'm still struggling, you know, I'm still working with a lot. You know, I haven't, I haven't like landed in a place where I feel, I feel like really solidly stable again in my
1: life. Yeah. 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 Well, so for the people that, you know, don't know who Michael was, um, can you tell us a little bit about who Michael Stone was and perhaps like how you guys came to partner together to create uh, probably the cutest children on the planet?
0: (laughs) I uh, Yeah, they are. <laughs> um, well, M- I mean, Michael is, uh, I believe, is still is. a teacher of Buddhism and yoga, who um, has an international following and has written numerous books, published with Shambhala, has self-published, has published uh, an independent chat book that is available in limited edition, which is probably running out. And um, has produced various online teachings taught internationally during his life and uh, i 've reached just a whole lot of people and helps a lot of people open their hearts and feel inspired in their lives um, through mindfulness practices, Buddhist practices and movement and um, and he 's my husband and and I miss him and we we met uh, in two thousand in 2010, we came together as a couple, and that happened very slowly. It took <laughs> tiptoeing because I was a student when when that's how I came to know him. And uh, and I started to grow feelings for him. And I remember sitting in the room and thinking, hmm, I'm not paying attention. <laughs> I'm not paying attention to practicing, <laughs> anyways. And, and I started to think, you know, like I'm making this effort to come to this Sangha and, and um, I'm feeling like I have ulterior motives. So I was preparing actually to leave the community and synchronously at the same time, Michael called or opened his door to student teacher meetings and, sa- and welcomed anyone to sign up to have a meeting with him. And so I actually signed up to say thank you very much, but I can't keep coming. And I had no intentions of telling him why. (laughs) And then in the meeting, he, partway through, there was a long silence and stillness, and he confessed that he had feelings for me and that he felt very careful and he didn't want to do anything about it. And he wanted to name it. And then I named that I shared the same, you know. And that's how that conversation began and also was tucked away for some time. And, and... We checked in months later and I admitted that I still still felt feelings for him. And then there was more time, more time passed. And eventually yeah. I got an email from him that said, would, would you like to get together for tea sometime or rather for lunch sometime? And then of course I got like the fluttery and like I right. knew that he was into it. So, so then that, that was the beginning of a long path. I feel like dating your teacher is a really bad idea. <laughs> has a lot of implications and and takes so much work to undo, um, undo this relationship that's there already. You know, and and we did the work and had support to do it skillfully and came to a good place.
1: Yeah, and I yeah. think that you know it's it. I, I love that you are speaking to that being a, a difficult thing because it it can be very difficult. Um, like, especially for you, you were a practitioner first, you know, and so how did this evolve your own personal practice? Hmm.
0: I think in a way, and I was reflecting on this with some of your questions. I feel like what Michael woke up in me the most strongly was my quirky self, like a part of myself that I became a practitioner. I felt I had like, I had an awakening experience and I felt kind of bland, like kind of beige, you know, and great description. And and like, and then he, yeah, he, he wanted to know me really honestly and really deeply. And that Mm -hmm. meant the parts myself that I, I felt like maybe they had disappeared with practice. Like maybe I wasn't that quirky, really. I was just being a bit neurotic when it actually was practice those little bits start trickling back and really felt like he gave me myself through that. Not that he gave me myself. He, he, he just wanted to know me Mm -hmm. and left space for that. And, and whatever he received from me, he held it really well. So there was space for me to really grow.
1: Yeah. 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 No, I love that. One of the things that uh, I say Whenever I teach, um, almost every single time, uh, especially with meditation, when I'm guiding meditation, is something that Michael said the first time I met him. uh, And he said that our practice is an active form of rebellion. Hmm. And you're like, that is typically something he would say. Because it's our way of rebelling against what's happening in the external world. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I, that really resonated with me just in, in the state that we're in, you know, with so many things uh, happening in the world that require our attention. Um, and, And it's really about finding the balance, right. With still engaging in what's happening internally and being able to, address our internal mechanism and our internal, um, chaos sometimes in a very mindful way. Uh, so I, I, really liked that. And, and again, like I said, it really resonated with me. Um, do you think that that's, that would be the same for you and how does that teaching resonate with you? Um,
0: the teaching of being oneself, how does that resonate with me? Yeah. Yeah, I echo Michael's words, it's rebellion. And it's internal rebellion, too. I feel I have certainly internalized a lot of oppressive forces in my community in my family and my culture, that I, yeah, the rebellion happens internally, too. It's like this voice, and then like, no, no, this voice, you know, that the inner judgment, and and the outer rebellion and it's yeah i mean those are the places that to me are really exciting with practice too and in michael's book he talks about resistance there's a chapter called resistance and when you hit resistance it's time to get excited because you're really bumping into something important that's on the cusp of change and um yeah so for me i'm interested in that and i think michael i saw that in michael a lot too he was interested in that edge in himself the place where he would learn something new about himself, or see something that he didn't recognize and wonder about it. And mm-hmm. um, seeing him do that taught me a lot about how to approach my own psyche and, um, and therefore other people.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, can you tell us a little bit about this new book that's coming out? Um, how did the how did you uh, bring these teachings together? I know that you worked with a co-author. Like, how did this? Uh, come to fruition and if you could share the name of the new book with us.
0: Yeah, so the book is The World Comes to You. I have my copy here and it is by Michael. It is his teachings and they um, the, those teachings were being compiled before he died. So this book was conceived in the months before he died. He brought on board um, a dear friend of ours and the editor of this book, Erin Robinson. And she was in communication with him the day he died, the last message he sent into the world was to her to thank her for the work she was doing on the book. And um, so this was it was in process. And so they were at a stage when he passed of pulling together material that would become the book. And the concept was to take really potent snippets of uh, dharma and of teaching and to bring them together to paint a picture of... A, spectra, a full spectrum of practice and um, and social action and love. And mm-hmm. so that's what landed in the book. And Erin compiled all those things in, into the form of the book. Um, she's very close with our family and she was with me in the hospital with Michael and she was came home with me afterwards and she was helping me every step of the way. And then at some point this book came into the picture and we were talking about this book. Um, it It was um, something that she, she really refined like the the placement of chapters and where things are and um, and started to hone michael 's voice for the page mm-hmm. And that's where um, this book is really interesting in relationship to his other books because I feel his, his voice is extremely strong and his, his like live teaching voice is very strong so Ironic, of course, that it 's when he 's gone that this book is here, but it is, and I do feel his liveliness in it as his splendidness mm. in it, and that was the point that was the point was that it was, would be brief, it would be potent, it would be something you can pick up and get a lot out of in a moment
1: yeah um, mm-hmm. yeah, I love that um, so for the people that are listening to or watching us, watching this on YouTube. Um, could you share what happened with Michael and how he passed? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, so Michael lived with bipolar disorder type 1. He was experiencing um, an increase in how much he was affected by that over the last few years before he died. And he was doing really well. He, was, seemed, to, he seemed to be doing very well, I'm sure, from the outside, from inside our home, over the last few months before he died, he he was working harder and harder to be okay, and working really really hard sometimes to be okay. And so, and so he 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 also um, yeah it is hard to talk about, and here we are. Um, yeah, he started to crave. He, he was working with a psychiatrist. His meds got changed. He wasn't super happy on his meds. He craved alternatives. He craved something natural that could really calm him. He spoke every now and then about opium. and he, But he could talk about it. He could say, oh, if only there was a very natural, safe way I could get the calm I really need. That's what he wanted. And he couldn't and was working really, really hard to be okay. Um, Yeah, in the last few weeks before he passed or last few months before he passed, we were talking about how to change his schedule, how to have him home more, how to downsize our life. We were talking about moving into a smaller home and decreasing half, and he would fly overseas and those kinds of things. And um, in the last few weeks before he died, something in him went more quiet. He wasn't telling me about his craving so much. He appeared quite fine. He had moments of a lot of anxiety and he appeared quite well, in fact. And so it was quite a shock to find out that um, what happened is he went went into town one day. We live on a small island. He went into town um, to run errands, as far as I knew and access to street drug and and was found unresponsive uh, a few hours later and taken to hospital and kept on life support for 3 days for the purpose of being an organ donor and so he had overdosed on what turned out to be 100% fentanyl
1: mm-hmm.
0: and so he donated his lungs a double lung trans- transplant that was successful and two kidneys.
1: And so he saved three lives in the process. Oh, yeah. wow. And you know that, it, it sent such a shockwave, obviously to all of us. And one thing that remained uh, poignant for me was the open letter that you sent in his newsletter where you basically talked about all of this. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm like, do you remember doing that? <laughs> yeah, I <remember> it <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> and to me i I found it to be so extremely courageous and inspiring that you were able to share his his true story um, as as it was especially in in a day and age where a lot of people are suffering from this and are suffering quietly, especially in our community, you know because people think like oh, I'm a yogi I have to have it figured out or I have to be or I'm a teacher I'm I'm somebody of note, noteworthy or an expert I can't show that I'm struggling and although that Michael spoke you know openly about his um at, at, you know not totally openly but was was always advocating for mental health and you know these these different modalities to help people I think it's one of those things that um we just we need to continue to voice out and be open about you know like one of the one of the things that he also taught a lot was this idea of being awake in the world right Mm -hmm. of being um being able to um show up fully as as you are and it is a difficult thing for a lot of people um even for myself you know when i struggle And I hear these stories, you know, like I get really tired when I travel, I travel all over the world, I come home and I, I would go into a state of some people would call depression, you know, like you go into the state of just wanting to disconnect from everything and not wanting to engage with the world and just wanting to go into a cocoon. And for me, you know, I'm able to, to work through it and I have really great support system, but there are times where it's really difficult and people don't they, they just don't see that part of, of you. You know, we don't show that part out in social media, you know, that's people show like the happy or the crowds or like the beautiful place that you're in. Um, Rarely do we actually show the, the work that's going on behind the scenes. And so I'll tie this back into um, the concept of being awake in the world and, and what that means. Yuveda has one simple vision. They want to create a healthier and happier world using the intelligence of Mother Nature. Yuveda believes in the ancient principles of Ayurveda and wants to bring them to you in a modern and easy way. They created innovative and full support supplements that contain only the best, highest quality, organic, and wild harvested ingredients. And now they have just introduced a brand new essential oils line to go with your health journey. One of my favorite essential oils is the immunity. Aromatherapy can help boost your immune system by providing your body the strength to heal and the support it so desperately needs. The doctors over at Uveda recommend to pair the essential oil with the My Healthy Immunity Supplement Kit in order to help strengthen your immune system to the fullest. For me, it is a non-negotiable as I travel all the time and I'm trying to take care of my health. For more information, go to uveda.com and don't forget to use the promo code ROSIE to get a special discount on your next order. And now, back to our show. How, How do you, what is your definition of being awake in the world and how has that pertained to your life in the last two years since Michael's passing?
0: Oh, I mean, there's many layers to that. I mean, my first thought was a question of being awake in the world is actually like, you know, I have to to awaken from something, and usually that's not being awake. (laughs) And so, I don't know, and like the cocoon, like, I don't know, we we fear, I think as practitioners, we can fear not being awake, but there's a bit of vigilance there, and I think we can't be so open-hearted when there's vigilance either. There's... Mm. Um, our nervous systems need to chill out and settle and um, and then we wake up and we, I think we wake up over and over and we don't stay awake, you know there's always moments of not being awake and of forgetting and um, and checking out and numbing and cocooning and those things aren't really important. they also they serve really important functions. We all need to check out every now and then and we all you know I'm sure Most people have dissociated every now and then, and it's a safety mechanism. It's protective. In my process of losing Michael, you know, every now and then I had to let myself relax and check out. It was actually hard. There was such, there was such vividness after he died. Um, Daily life was extremely vivid and awake moments, you know, and just all strung together into three in the morning. So there's a time for, there needed to be a time for, for rest and for, for not being awake. Um, I don't know vividness comes to mind when you ask what does it mean to be awake that is a word you know vividness and and being being able to be in my body and in the world at the same time
1: Mm. yeah is that uh, a practice that you've done for a while like for the people listening that maybe don't understand how the mechanisms of being in your body what does that look like for you and how do you accomplish that?
0: Yeah. I'm, I mean, for me, I'm a body worker by training. So for me, it can be quite literally like feeling my body, feeling my alignment, feeling my feet on the floor, feeling that my feet are on the floor underneath me in a way where we're moving together and my feet aren't already moving in another direction. (laughs) It's so simple. Um, you know, feeling that I'm not, I'm not leading away from my center. That I'm my my center of the chest, my center of my pelvis is, is aligned. Um, that sounds rigid, but I really mean it in a three dimensional felt sense. You mm-hmm. know, from the inside, for me, that's like my radar, and that's my radar for how I'm feeling and for what's going on in my life. Yeah. Yeah.
1: How have you been able to utilize? your own practice in moving through grief
0: i feel like when michael died you know when with practicing for my I have a history as a meditation practi- practitioner
1: mm-hmm.
0: right now i'm a mom that's mostly my practice that's your practice
1: anymore.
0: yeah mm-hmm. um and that's, so there, there's work there. Like in, in my daily practice with my kids, there's work in not reacting to their requests or behavior or whatnot in, in a way that I otherwise could or I've been conditioned to do. Um, and there, so there's work there. There's work of like maybe catching a pattern and coming back to where I feel centered and responding differently or creatively. Um, so there's, there's work there. When Michael, when Michael died, when I met him in the hospital, I wasn't practicing, you know, it's the practice, the practice I think massages you in your practice in your life. And then when you really need it, you're, you are just there and you are there in your heart and wherever your heart's at. And I think practice sets you up for those moments. And maybe that's the whole point is you're ready for those Mm. or you're ready differently. And so when Michael, when I met Michael in the hospital, uh, I I could I could meet him there. I was ready to meet him there.
1: Mm. Oh, my, that's so deep, Karina. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. Um, what was the biggest lesson that Michael taught you?
0: Um, this might go back to what we talked about before about being quirky, but I really <laughs> 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 kind of it like like there's nothing wrong with me. love that yeah like
1: nothing I wish more people really felt into that right yeah I think
0: that I feel it more now since he died I feel like I'm still learning that from him now since he died
1: Mm.
0: yeah and mm.
1: what was the biggest lesson that you taught him
0: oh hmm. um Hmm. Jeez, that's a good question. Hmm. Hmm. I'm thinking of a few things, but No,
1: that's good. We love a long pregnant pause.
0: Yeah. I'm sorting through images. <laughs> uh, I feel like I, what I gave to Michael was a home and not in the physical sense necessarily. Although I did and he did too. But I feel like I provided him a home that was shared, um, that included his mind, that he could return to.
1: Mm, I love that. What has been the biggest lesson that your children have taught you so far?
0: Oh, my God, children are so resilient <laughs> and vulnerable. Mm. We can handle so much and our hearts can handle so much and we need each other so much. <laughs> yeah. Like so much. And especially when the heart has to handle a lot, you really need each other. <laughs> yeah, they need, they need a lot. And they, they, um, they are hopeful. Oh they understand and they're hopeful and they, they, I don't know, the heart just opens up again. Like it, I, I watch them invite new people into their life to invite friends of mine into their life who they call their other mamas, who are their backup mamas in case I ever die. So they have five of them. <laughs> And they talk about them and they love them and they need them and they have so much love for them.
1: Oh my goodness. I've learned so much about you and just your process. And this has been so um, enlightening for me and to just be able to, I, you know, part of me can't help but feel like you know, a little bit of sadness that we didn't get to do this before while Michael was alive, you know, because we did, and he did get to meet Tori and my other half. And we went to, you know, do a couple of activities while he was in Portland. That was just really nice. And he often spoke very highly of you mm-hmm. as um, somebody who was a great teacher in his life. Mm-hmm. And so I, I always uh, couldn't wait to meet you and, and, I don't, you know, I'm sad that it has to be under this umbrella, but I'm also glad because I definitely feel that his teachings will continue to live and um, his love for you and his love for the practice and the love that you have, I feel will um, continue to magnify all of those teachings and you'll continue to serve you know us and and your entire community with them and i'm I'm really excited about this book and i just pray that you continue to do this work that you continue to spread his teachings so that we can um just continue to learn from each other so thank you for doing that Mm. um for the people that are listening to this podcast or the people that are watching this video on youtube where can they go for more information about you the book that's coming out or to just reach you
0: yeah, so this book is out. You can find it on Shambhala's website and on Amazon. Whatever. Um, our website for Michael's work is www.michaelstoneteaching.com. He, he, me. Nicole is our amazing admin person. Um, I should say they. Um, the two of them together on, are on Instagram also. And uh, there's a Facebook, uh, Michael Stone teaching on on Facebook, so those are the places. Yeah.
1: Cool. And for those of you listening and watching this, I will include all of those links in the show notes. So if you're watching this on YouTube, just go to the info button down below. All of those links that Karina just mentioned will be there. If you're listening to this uh, on whatever podcast platform you're listening to, whether it be Spotify itunes or playfm any google play whatever you're listening to this on those links will be in the info section of this particular podcast so before i let you go i'm going to ask you one final question i ask all of my guests and it's pertaining to why i created this podcast and it was this idea that we are radically loved by god source mother nature whatever higher power of your understanding whatever it may be, nothingness, everything, that we are radically loved and radically supported by it, whatever it is that the universe works for us and not against us. And it's this idea that we are all radically loved. So whatever that conceptualizes for you, the individual, the final question is, how do you feel radically loved? Mm.
0: Yeah, I hmm. Yeah, I feel like life is a fabric, and uh, the fabric is made of joy and love, and it moves around a lot, and various things move it around a lot. I feel loved by the fabric.
1: That has to be one of my favorite answers of all time i love that thank you so much for being on the show i really appreciate you and all the work that you're doing and again your courage and you're an inspiration and i just really appreciate you um, to continue to do this work and um, i hope that you come back on the show
0: oh okay (laughs) Never say no.
1: (laughs) Yeah, never say no. Uh, Thank you, everybody who's listening to this or watching this. If you found it valuable, please uh, leave a review. You can rate it on whatever platform you're listening to this on. And please share it with somebody who you think would really benefit from this interview or our conversation. We thank you so much for listening and we will see you next week. Oh my goodness. Skinny-dipped almonds has a new dark plus sea salt. Honey, can you see? Hey, guys. (laughs) Uh, Skinny-dipped almonds, you know the drill. They're amazing. They have brand new flavors that you must try. There is a new skinny-dipped lemon bliss, which tastes like, what was that? Do you remember those cookies? Lemon, what were they called? Here's Tori. Hey, guys. They were what? Do you remember those lemon cream cookies? What were lemon, they called? Lemon cream cookies, yeah. Uh anyway, they're delicious. We have had such a great response for those of you that have been listening to the podcast that have tried the skinny dipped almonds or have gone to any one of my retreats or events and have had the pleasure of trying these delicious treats. They are non-GMO, they have less sugar, and they are really a guiltless treat. So head over to SkinnyDipped.com or you can click the link on the info button of this particular podcast. And don't forget to use the code ROSIE15 to get your discount. Again, head to SkinnyDipped.com and enter the code ROSIE15, 15 to get your Skinny Dipped almonds. And if you know the cookie that I'm talking about, please uh, send us a message and let us know. Hey everyone, I hope you enjoyed this episode. I am so excited to continue to do this. Please share this with your friends. Email us, message us on Instagram at Rosia Acosta or on Twitter at Rosia Acosta. Subscribe on iTunes, write a review. We love doing this. So please help us continue to keep this podcast going. Thanks for listening.